Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is looking at CBS's early top 25 NCAA basketball list. So with the NCAA basketball season approaching in a couple of months, we decided to take a look at a top 25 list. So Jalen, let's get things started with number 25. Yes, sir, bro. So let's just preface this call, this entire podcast by saying that there was no way in the world that we could hold off on the college basketball content any longer. We've been talking about the NBA for so long, and the, the NCAA season is around the corner. College football has already got kicking off, and we couldn't help ourselves but get in the college spirit by talking a little basketball. So we hopped into this top 25, and at number 25 on this list, is St. Bonaventure. Now, the interesting thing with St. Bonnie is that they are a really interesting squad coming off of last season where they are a very top-heavy team. This is a top-heavy team that relied on their, their lead five starters to pretty much dominate the scoring and pretty much their overall minutes uh, consumption for this team. Um, one of the main players for them was Asun Asuni. Asuni, who uh, who anchored their defense along with Jaden Attaway, um, who's a really great glue guy for them. But of course, the guy that I think is most important for this team is Kyle Lofton, man. Kyle Lofton at the guard spot, really interesting player for this team. Um, and St. Bonnie is coming off of a season in which they, I mean, they deserve to be in the top 25. Uh, clearly being the Atlantic 10 favorites going into this season. They are in a situation where when you get that kind of return back, getting all five of your starters back for another year, and then on top of that, being able to bolster up that bench, something they desperately needed by getting two guys in Kareem Koulibaly from, uh, from Pittsburgh and a Juco transfer and Linton Brown. I mean, now a team that was once five deep, <laughs> which is not great in an NCAA setting, now has kind of bolstered themselves up to still have that same kind of depth with a couple other wrinkles to their game that should be really interesting. So I think that St. Bonnie is going to be uh, a pretty interesting team this season and definitely should be favorite at the Atlantic 10 again. And not to mention, they also got Quadri Adams from Wake Forest as part of the transfer portal. So he will definitely add depth to an already loaded team. But let's talk a little bit about Osin Osinihi, who averaged nearly a double-double last year while blocking three shots per game. He is now widely regarded as arguably the best interior defender in the country. And when you think about interior defenders last season, you talked about, you were thinking about Charles Bassey and Nemius Kita, who both went to the NBA draft. Now I think he's arguably one of the best interior defenders not named Drew Timmy. When you talk about the impact last season of Osin Osin of uh, Osin Osinihi, he's been so important to the success of the St. Bonaventure program. And he's coming back along with four other starters who were all juniors last year, including, like you mentioned, Kyle Lofton and Jaden Attaway. I think that this team in St. Bonaventure could be a dangerous team, not only in the Atlantic 10, but also in the entire NCAA. But I just think they have to find a way to push themselves over the hump to make themselves a top 15 team. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to be a tough ask for this team. But I, like I said beforehand, Attaway and Lofton, those are the two guys that I'm looking at 
Osunigi is definitely going to be that guy on defense, but this backcourt is dynamic. Last year, we're talking about Kyle Lofton coming off a year where he played um, 38 minutes per game in the regular season, averaging 14.4 points per game, 41% from the field, 5.5 assists per game. Definitely solid for them um, at that lead guard position. And then we talk about Jalen Attaway, 12.2 points per game, 52% from the floor, six rebounds. This is the kind of group in that backcourt area that's going to be really interesting moving forward because of the fact that I think if those two guys can click, they got a big guy behind them who could definitely cover for them on the defensive end. This is going to be a team that's not going to be a, not going to be a, a, an easy out by any means. And I mean, it's way too early to be talking about tournament time, but I'd feel very safe in penciling them in to be able to make the tournament if all goes well in terms of the injury gods. I think this is a team that, Considering the fact that they are not that deep, the injury gods is the one thing that can really hinder this season, as for every team, of course, but for this team in particular with their lack of depth, I think they've improved their depth, but their talent still lies in their top five and really, really valuably in that top five to the point that I feel like neither one of those five guys are easily replaceable so it'll be really interesting how to, to see how they hold up but again I definitely feel confident in them being um the top team in the Atlantic 10 and surely being one of those teams that we should be looking at come March time let's get to number 24 for a sec bro and this is where we start getting into the interesting set of things because as we get up this list there's going to be names that you start to wonder should they be higher should they be lower should they be off the list should they stay on the list and number 24 is Michigan State. And, man, it's hard to see a Tom Izzo team not in the top 15, but this is a team that lost a lot of bodies over the offseason. Aaron Henry went to the league. Joshua Langford is done with basketball. Rocket Watts is now with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. But this team is still pretty solid. They got some guys in Joey Hauser returning. Gabe Brown, Malik Hall, Julius Marble. Got new guys like Tyson, Tyson Walker and Max Christie. Tyson Walker is coming from Northeastern where he played with the Huskies and averaged nearly 20 points per game, five assists per game out the backcourt, which is going to be pretty huge considering the fact that Aaron Henry and Joshua Langford are no longer on this team, lead guards that took a lot of that scoring responsibility. So Ryan, how do we feel about the Izzo gang, bro? Because Michigan State definitely seems a little low for a Michigan State squad, but I think that with the guys that they got coming in, along with the fact that they've got some pretty significant returners, I mean, Michigan State might really be in the mix out there in the Big Ten, bro. Yeah, I think what you mentioned with Tyson Walker, I think he could be an impact player for this Michigan State team. But I feel like they're losing more than what they're gaining. Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, Joshua Langford, I think they're all huge losses. I think getting Max Christie could be huge, given what he can do given what he can do on both sides of the floor. But I think it's just, I think it's just going to be too much because we talk about the legacy of Thomas. So is there a chance that he could enter his 24th straight NCAA tournament? But I think Tom Izzo's maybe going to have his toughest season this year, trying to make it to the NCAA tournament for a 24th, uh, 24th straight time. 
I think the big um, the big needle mover, I'll say, in terms of talking about this Michigan State team has got to be Max Christie. I think that if he can blossom into the guy that they, that they need as a lead guy for them at that guard position, it'll be really interesting to see how this team will be, be able to progress. I do agree with you that they watched a lot go out the door, especially at that guard position. But I think that you could argue that they filled it relatively well. I think that it'll have a lot to do with whether or not these newcomers and Tyson Walker and Max Christie can really step into their roles and show out. Just for people to get an understanding of who Max Christie is, this is a guy, according to two, two, uh, 247 Sports, ironically, compared to in size and stature, compared to former Michigan State player Gary Harris, formerly of the Denver Nuggets. The readout for Max Christie is he has good size and length, and while he needs to get stronger, that will come in time. Right now, he is best as a shooter where his height and long arms allow him to shoot over nearly every, every defender. But if a bigger player is on him, he is also athletic enough and good enough with the dribble to go past them. A highly skilled prospect who can play anywhere on the perimeter, hard worker who shows tremendous IQ on the court, um, makes a big impact as a wing at the college level and a first round NBA draft choice at six foot six, 165 pounds. I think that if he can fill out that body under a college program, really build up and maybe put some weight on a little bit, he already has a little bit of decent athleticism. And as a shooter, that's going to be huge. Him stepping into that Rocket Watts role with a little bit more burst, I think that would be a very big step for the Spartans moving forward and maybe would make Tom Izzo's job a little easier, Ryan, but I can definitely understand where your doubts come from. So moving on now to the 23rd ranked team in the Yukon Huskies. And Jalen, this is a very tough situation for the Yukon Huskies, considering last year they lost a National Player of the Year candidate and top draft pick in James Bugknight. It almost kind of seems like they're looking for an identity, but CBS puts a lot of faith in Yukon Huskies. So obviously you have Tyler Polly returning for another season. You get the return of Tyrese Martin and RJ Cole. They definitely have some talent, but how do you feel about the Yukon Huskies? Yeah, man. I mean, Cole and Martin are there. I mean, they're the keys, man. In terms of offense, they're the only guys returning that really seem like legitimate threats in that backcourt for him. I mean, we have to talk about it, bro. James Booknight carried this squad. And when he was out, this team struggled. And when they came back, when he came back, you have to remember when we went into the NCAA tournament, I feel very comfortable in saying that the committee respected James Booknight so much that that influenced where the Huskies were ranked going into the tournament in terms of seeding. I think that's a huge point when we talk about the sway that a talent of Booknight, um, like Booknight has on the committee to the point that he was able to have that kind of influence, that kind of pull. Now, the big thing that I'll say is for a Dan Hurley team, if there's anything we know they're going to do well, it's going to be play defense, right? I think that's one of the big things that I look to when we talk about the fact that this team is going to be going into a season without a 15 to 18 point per game score in James Booknight. But if they can hunker down on the defensive end, which is kind of their calling card as a UConn team, especially in the last couple of years in particular, I think that this could be a huge season for them on the defensive end. And I'll throw out a name that I think will be pretty interesting. Sophomore big man Adama Sanogo at the, at the big spot, 4-5 for them. 
man, I think he's a guy who could be really interesting for this squad if he steps into his role proper because he's a guy who I think is very versatile on that offensive end um, as a guy who they might be able to dump the ball down to. I'm not saying run a bunch of set plays for, but just help them get some solid buckets here and there. And I think in the interior, he's going to be a big reason why this defense is or isn't solid. I think, they're, I think their backcourt is pretty okay from a rangy standpoint. But I think if he can step up, talking about Adama, can step up significantly in the middle, I think that UConn will be pretty interesting as a defensive team. And that's a different spin from what we saw last year for the most part, considering James Booknight made them so dynamic. But I think they might be able to get – I think their calling card might be what, what drags them through this season. And they have a pretty impressive freshman class too with Rasul Diggins and Corey Floyd Jr. I think they could have an impact in their first year. Like what you said with Adonis Sinogo, I think that he could have a breakout season for the Yukon Huskies. And I think when you talk about the potential for improvement for Adama Sinogo, I think he fits what Dan Hurley's what what Dan Hurley's looking for. When you talk about interior defense, I think Adama Sinogo has the potential to be a top interior defender in the NCAA. But I think when you talk about this entire roster as well, I think the roster fits the system. I think when you talk about defense there's a lot of talented defenders on this team, including Isaiah Willie and Tyler Polly. I think when you talk about physicality and effort on both sides of the floor, you get that with guys like RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin. Mm-hmm. I think with the young talent that they have, I think that this team can make an impact this season, but I think filling that role of James book Knight is going to be the big question because we've seen RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin have some games where you could point out and you saw flashes that they could be that lead guard. They could be that lead scorer, but I think there needs to be a definitive lead scorer on this team. I'm glad, man. I I always talk about this podcast being so great because of your ability to alley-oop me into points that I'm about to make. And I think this is a great one when you talk about that idea of having a lead scorer who might be able to step into that area. And let's go back to your original point as that guy, Rasul Diggins. I think that's going to be the guy who could be an X factor in the at the point guard spot. This is a guy, I mean, let's not sleep, bro. Let's, let's not sleep. This is a four-star prospect that was – Stepping in, stepping onto this UConn Huskies team as a guy who had offers from places like Kansas, Rutgers, Virginia Tech, Xavier. But this guy's going to be stepping onto a Huskies team where from an offensive standpoint, I mean, look, I don't know if he's from from the tape. He's definitely an interesting prospect. I don't know if he's comparable to James Booknight as a scorer, but I think as a scrappy combo guard dude who can play as a one or a two, definitely will defend his tail off, has a really nice quick step, definitely knows how to get around around the basket and finish in the lane. I think that he's a guy who is going to be really interesting as a shot maker and shot taker for this team. The biggest thing that I wonder about him is, A, can he put on the poundage? I think he really needs to be able to put on some weight to go along with that play style that he's got of being a guy who likes to finish around the rim. 6'1", 160 pounds. Man, he's gonna have to get. He's gonna have to put some weight on to be able to hang with those big bodies out there in the Big East. And I think the big thing too is let's talk about this. The main thing with this team that I fear, right? We talk about them from a defensive standpoint, how prominent they are, but they're not gonna be a very solid three-point shooting team. That's probably my biggest concern with them potentially. Um, 
And if we can figure that one out, if they can figure that out, if they can get one guy that can significantly be like an interesting, um, you know, three-point shooting threat for them, now we're talking. Now we're talking. But I think defensively they're going to be solid. Rasul Diggins is definitely going to be the guy that's the X factor for me when we look at UConn. So I mean, if we move along the buck, the move along the bucket, let's talk about a team that is full of interesting guys across the board. Number twenty-two, Auburn. Now Auburn is really interesting because they come into a situation where they've got a lot of guys across the board. Despite the fact that the most notable guys they lost were Sharif Cooper and JT Thor, they bring back Alan Flanagan, who will be missing significant time. This is something that we need to factor in when we talk about not only their their ranking in this top 25, but also moving forward. This guy that's going to miss about six weeks of the season due to a lower uh, lower body injury. But they're also bringing back Devin Cambridge, who had a pretty solid year last year. Uh, Babatunde. Akinbola was a guy that was really a, a really high energy guy for them down low last year. Not a crazy scoring threat, but definitely a guy who was good on the defensive end. This was a team in the SEC that was one of the most dangerous shot blocking teams in the entire country last year. And they add on to that, they get Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, who's transferring from North Carolina. Ryan, I mean, they're going to be missing Alan Flanagan for some time, but they've got some guys that are going to be in the mix. But how do you feel about them? Because this is a team that without Sharif Cooper didn't look so solid. And now Alan Flanagan was the guy playing point guard for them in, in the in the midst of Cooper being out due to ineligibility. Well, Flanagan's going to be out too. So, so where do we stand on Auburn right now with this team looking the way they do? I will say Auburn made a lot of moves in the transfer portal. But I think two of the biggest moves that they could have made were the acquisitions of Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. I think that this is a perfect front court duo. And I think that they could end up being the best front court duo in the entire conference. And I think when you talk about the potential of this team, I think they have a high ceiling, but, but like, like you mentioned earlier, even with a team last year with Sharif Cooper and JT Thor, I think that the ceiling could be even higher for this team, given the moves that they made in the transfer portal. Let's talk about not only acquiring Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. They also got KD Johnson from Georgia, Wendell Green from Eastern Kentucky, and Zepp Jasper from the College of Charleston. All of them provide much-needed ball handling experience. So I think that this team has the potential to start to, to really become an impact team in the SEC. But I think only time will tell. This front court duo, though, of Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler could be the difference maker. Yeah, I I definitely believe that with the with the guard hit that they take with the fact that Sharif Cooper has moved on and Alan Flanagan will be missing significant time. I genuinely believe that they're going to have to play through that front court in order to be a legit threat in the SEC. Look for Katie Johnson to maintain that kind of threat as a as a ball handler and a scorer for this team. He averaged 13.5 points per game for my Bulldogs last year, shooting 42% from the floor. He did shoot nearly 40% from three, too, which is a very big 
um, upside for this team moving forward because that was one of their bigger struggles last year too. They take a lot of threes and that's going to definitely play into his favor, but this is a team that needs to be able to knock those jokers down. Look for Katie Johnson to step up very big in the ball handling department, especially while Flanagan is out. I think that he is going to be really huge, but I agree. I agree with you. Walker Kessler, he's going to be a guy who's going to be huge for this team. And Jabari Smith, I think those are two guys that are going to go crazy this year. But let's not sleep on Jalen Williams and Devin Cambridge, too. Two returners that are going to be pretty solid as well in terms of what they're going to need from veteran leadership on this team. Those are two guys that I think that the Auburn Tigers are going to want to lean on to pretty heavily. Now, Ryan, we got to get into the dirty, the grimy, the, the hometown team. Let's talk about the Maryland Terrapins, man. This is a team that we have been very wishy-washy on. If you've been listening to the podcast over the last year and a half, we have had some, some interesting takes, nonetheless, talking about these here Terrapins. This is a team coming off of losing Aaron Wiggins to the draft. Shout out to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Daryl Morsell, who went to Marquette, I believe. We've also lost a couple of other guys in the mix, but we brought back Eric Ayala, Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, and we are bringing in Cutis Wahab, Fats, Russell, Julian, Reese, Ike, Cornish, four most notable guys we're picking up in the offseason. Ryan, come on, man. I know that we want to go into this having a little bit of negativity looking at these guys, but let's start with the power of positivity. What do you see about this roster right now that gives you a little bit of hope going into this season, considering the fact that I think we both agreed off pod that this might be a smidget too high. It might be a little bit has a, a little bit hefty of expectations early on, but let's just try to be positive for a sec. How do we feel about this team going in? What are some things that you're looking forward to with this squad? Jalen, I'll be honest. I don't think Maryland should be ranked in this top 25, but I can look at this team and point out a couple of positives. I look at the transfers portal. And I think it's very interesting because I think a lot of people look at the Wahab move and I think it could be very overlooked, but it's also underrated because I think that he's a very solid interior defender. And I just, I have my concerns about Russell as a scoring guard, because I think he just needs the right team around him. Will Maryland be the right fit for him? I think will be the question going into this season, but he has a lot of experience. I think the big thing going forward is just adding that front court depth with Reese and Wahab because one of the weaknesses for Maryland last year was interior defense. So there is some potential that this team can be better than last year. But as a Maryland fan, Jalen, I have my doubts. But Ryan, here's where I will try to help you with those doubts. We have seen Bruno Fernando. We have seen Jalen Smith. And now I believe that Cutis Wahab will be our next big guy in the fray. I don't know if he's an NBA caliber prospect just yet, but I want to read something out to you that I think is pretty important. In Georgetown's short little run in the postseason, my dude dropped 20 points, 12 rebounds, on nearly 60% shooting from the floor, averaged 12.7 points per game and 8.2 rebounds on nearly 60% shooting from the floor over the course of the entire season. 
I think this is a guy who can be extremely interesting as an interior presence for us. I think that would be huge in the from a defensive standpoint. I really wish that we wouldn't have lost Daryl Morcel. I think as a perimeter defender, that was a huge blow. But still having Eric Ayala as a shot creator and then bringing in a guy like Fats Russell, I think that'll be really interesting from a backcourt standpoint. This is a guy who averaged nearly 15 points nearly five rebounds and nearly five assists the struggle with him is all about efficiency shot less than 35 percent from the floor we definitely need more than that because this is a team we already know ryan our blunder is shooting the tray pound and if we're not going to hit the tray pound we got to be able to finish around the bucket and if he's shooting less than 35 percent from the floor you are slowly going to start looking like an unplayable player but if he can knock down shots I think the combination of him and Eric Ayala in the backcourt with guys like Julius Reese also as an interesting frontcourt player, Ike Cornish as a dynamic guard that, could, that could, could come in and spell us some minutes as well. I think that Maryland is actually pretty solid. Now, again, I think losing Daryl Morcel was a pretty tough hit, and I really think that Aaron Wiggins would have been able to blow up on this roster being the primary scoring um, option. I think he would have really been able to be an interesting two-way wing for us in this dynamic of the Terrapins team. But nonetheless, I think we look pretty okay. That's the thing, because I, I always think we have the expectations where we can meet, where we can meet the expectations of a top 10 team. Being ranked number 21, I think is too high because I think Maryland has to go into the season with almost no expectations because every time we give them a ceiling, they never reach the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And I hope with this team, they can reach the ceiling, maybe even break the glass ceiling because mm -hmm. honestly, this team has a lot of talent where they can actually become a prominent contender in the big 10. We, we haven't even touched on the fact that Ike Cornish and Russell could be a dynamic scoring duo and maybe a deadly backcourt in the Big Ten. We also didn't touch on the fact that Dante Scott, who has shown a lot of potential in the last season with uh, Maryland, could be part of a dangerous frontcourt duo with, with Kudus Wahab. So, like I said, there's a lot of potential, but expectations. Are they going to meet those expectations, Sheelan? And we'll find out this season. Yeah, man, I, I pray that... I pray that this isn't too hasty. I feel like this is low in the top 25. I feel like we've definitely given, been given way too much respect in past rankings. And I feel like maybe they're taking it into account that our roster has revamped pretty well through the transfer portal and some of the guys that we brought in recently, along with some of our, uh, like our returners. But I think that they might have helped us out a smidge by the fact that the expectations aren't set too high. But again, I do understand having us as a top 25 team, maybe it's a little too early. But let's talk about a team that might even be a little bit more overrated than us. And I'm not entirely sure about this one, Ryan, but I'm going to get your take on it. Let's talk about at number 20, the Tennessee Volunteers, man. You lose Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, Eves Pons, who was huge for this team last year. You bring back Josiah Jordan James and John Fulgerson, probably their two um, big, big returners in this team outside of maybe Victor Bailey as well. And I mean, in terms of newcomers, they bring, they bring in Kennedy Chandler and Justin Powell. Ryan, I don't know, man. When you lose two 
lottery-level draft picks in Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, and then you lose a big tone setter on both sides of the ball in Ease Ponds, can you really be a top 25 team just by bringing back John Fulkerson? Like, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of tough, but maybe there's something that I'm missing. I definitely have questions about this Tennessee team as well, because I'm not sure how they're going to be able to replace Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. But let's let's talk about another player that transferred over to Tennessee in Justin Powell, who, while Sharif Cooper was out, stepped up in that role as being a lead guard. I mean, he was shooting 44% from three last season with Auburn. So they do they do have a potential lead guard in Justin Powell that can really take over and fill that role of Keon Johnson. But I just think it's really about how how is Fulkerson going to play as the prominent role in this offense? Because if you remember, I mean, last year, the offense pretty much ran through Keon Johnson and James Springer. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what will happen with John Fulkerson as the lead man. But I think that Fulkerson could have a pretty solid season. I see your questions, but I have to say the same thing with Maryland. The same thing I said with Maryland in terms of potential, because this backcourt of Kennedy Chandler and Justin Powell could end up being very dangerous in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, based on what I'm seeing from Parrish, I mean, his main explanation is that when bringing in John Fulkerson, that rounds out having five of their top eight scorers from last season on the team. This is a team that was like five seed last year. And you pair that grouping with Chandler, with Powell, like you mentioned beforehand, and you've got yourself a solid seven to eight man rotation. And I definitely understand that. I just wonder who's going to be that dynamic option on the team. Cause I don't know if John Fulkerson is going to be that guy. Could it be Kennedy Chandler who maybe steps up into that significant role? Could it be Justin Powell who, again, like you mentioned beforehand, while Sharif Cooper was out, played a significant role for the Auburn Tigers could he be in a situation where as a legit shooting threat step in and be a guy who can be a lead ball handler for them and step in in a good way I I would definitely argue against what you said about Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson in terms of them playing through those guys there was a very long stretch with them um, during the early portion of the season where both those guys were coming off the bench but they are the two guys who came on very strong in the latter half of the year So, I mean, my biggest argument against Tennessee would maybe just be who is going to be that guy outside of John Fulkerson to really step up and be a high volume score for this team. But, hey, maybe if they're as deep as as this roster, if if their depth really goes as far as this roster seems to look like, I mean, maybe they won't need a dynamic score to kind of lead the charge because they might have four or five guys that have at least eight points per game and they could be a dangerous squad because we know they're going to lock down and play defense. And I think it also makes it very tough considering they're playing in the SEC. I think they were able to really shine when other teams were struggling, like Kentucky, who was struggling for the most part. And I think that Tennessee could could end up being a top team this year with this front court and back court duo that they have. Remember, they also got just Josiah Jordan James back, and he was a top rebounder for this team. Fulkerson's a great player as well, so you pair those two together along with this potential backcourt duo of Kennedy Chandler and Justin Powell, I think it could be very interesting for, for Tennessee to become a top 15 team. But I think it's I think that they're in an interesting position as a team, mainly because of the fact that they're in the SEC, which is already a very tough basketball conference. 
Yeah, I think that it's going to be just – it's just going to be an interesting roster. But like I said, that first – that guy who steps up the most for them, that'll be what tells me a lot about maybe where this team will project moving forward. Let's talk about a team that – another team that lost a lot of depth in terms of their squad. The Florida State Seminoles lost MJ Walker, Raekwon Gray, Scotty Barnes, Raekwon Evans. Like, they lost significant, like, players in terms of their lead – scores for this team four of their five lead scores are gone they still got Anthony Polite who was a 10 point per game score last year for them they bring in Caleb Mills um and they also bring in Matthew Cleveland two guys that are going to be really interesting for them Ryan maybe again maybe this is another circumstance similar to Tennessee where maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit and especially with a Leonard Hamilton led team where you know they're going to be deep you know they're going to play deep they're going to have squads across the board and it's going to give guys like Cameron Fletcher Wyatt Wilkes Jalen Worley they're going to get minutes we're going to see this team play deep and they're going to be one of the most interesting teams in the ACC just out of the mere fact that it's going to be an every Every other night, somebody's going to – a different guy's going to be that dude for the team. How do you feel about Florida State not only specifically being ranked at 19, but how do you feel about them within the ACC landscape? Because I think that from a talent perspective, they're not as crazy as some of these other ACC teams we're going to talk about, the North Carolinas, the Dukes, and some of these other squads that we're going to slowly start getting to. But – like, how do, how do you feel about Florida State going into the season with the kind of talent they lost and the kind of talent that they're now gaining? I'm not as concerned about Florida State. And it's mainly because I feel like they've been in this position before. If you remember the year when they had Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams, we had those same questions about them going into that season when they were led by Scotty Barnes and Anthony Polite. Now we're having those same questions again about Florida State and they just lost Scotty Barnes in the draft, but they also just got Caleb Mills. So I trust Hamilton because he's one of the top developers in terms of just being able to develop players in a system. And I think that when you talk about the, the talent that they have on this team with guys like Matthew Cleveland, guys like Jalen Warley, and then also adding in guys like Anthony Polite and Malik Osborne, who are returning for the Seminoles, I don't have as many doubts about them. Now, I think in terms of fit in the ACC, they were a top team in the ACC for a pretty long stretch. And I think when you when you factor in the Dukes and the North Carolinas, keep in mind, Duke did not have that great of a season last year. And North Carolina was getting back from having a really bad season the year before. So I'm not as concerned about Florida State. I think they could end up being at worst, the third best team in the ACC outside of Duke and North Carolina. But again, I, I think Florida State is going to be okay considering that Hamilton has a track record of being able to develop young players and they got a, they got a pretty good class of talent coming in. I'm not as concerned about Florida State as you are. It's understandable. I think the development part is the main part that you touched on in terms of being important for this team moving forward. Their depth is so huge every year that unlike Tennessee, I'm not as worried about who's going to be the breakout player for this team because Florida State has never really been that way, right? I think the most dynamic scoring option we've seen come out of Florida State as of recent main memory might be Dwayne Bacon. And outside of that, for the most part, we've seen a lot of guys who are versatile two-way players that maybe don't 
fill up the box score, but do a lot of different things very well. And that makes their team very solid as a college squad because everybody plays in sync. Let's talk about another team that might be bringing back some solid talent in a way that might be pretty in sync moving in next season. Got to talk about Ohio State. This is a team that's bringing back dang near the whole gang. I mean, they lose Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker. Those are the two main ones for me. But you bring back E.J. Liddell, who I think probably was smart to come back to school, um, despite the fact that he would have been a really interesting NBA prospect. Um, they, they bring back Kyle Young. They uh, bring back Justin Aarons as well, Eugene Brown. They got some bodies in there. They also get Jamari Wheeler. Um, who was an interesting guy that that came from from Penn State? Not a crazy fill it up guy at all, but definitely a good guy who could step into your roster. Ohio State is one of those teams that's always going to be in the mix. I feel like they're always going to be in the fray. But um, I do wonder if last season might have been one of their better shots to really make a run in the Big Ten. I mean, this is college, so it's not similar in terms of like windows closing and things like that, the way we talk about the NBA. But I felt like last year was one of their better opportunities to really make a run at the chip. And I feel like because they blew it in the first round that this roster is not as good as last year. But Ryan, they're, they're 18th for a reason. Am I underselling them? I don't think you're underselling them because I think this is a situation much like UConn where how you replace a top player that you lost. And now UConn is in a situation where they, they're going an entire season without James Booknight. This year, it's the same case with Ohio State, except they're going an entire season without Dwayne Washington Jr. So I do think Ohio State is in a better position than UConn in terms of trying to make a run at the championship. But I have to agree with you because last year, that was definitely one of their best chances to win it. Now, when you look at the the talent that's coming in for Ohio State, you get a strong defender in point guard Jamari Wheeler from Penn State. You get a solid shooter in Cedric Russell from Louisiana Lafayette. You also get uh, Malachi Brenham, who is a very talented freshman. I think that they can help out with the loss of Dwayne Washington, but I think it's just a situation where who is going to step up and fill that role that that Dwayne Washington left, because I think that's going to be something that will be one of the biggest concerns going into next season. How will they replicate the production that was lost with the departure of Dwayne Washington? I think the best chance for that would have to be Cedric Russell, who you mentioned earlier, averaged 17.2 points, 3.2 rebounds, not much of a sister, but neither really was Dwayne Washington either. Um, shot 41, nearly 42% from the field last year, shot 40% on the dot from three. I think that if he can duplicate that offensive production for the Buckeyes, right, and they're in a situation where they're able to have that kind of offensive production from him. We kind of already know who EJ Liddell is as an offensive threat for this team. He's a very versatile three, four, more of a four or five in the college game um, for Ohio state. If Cedric Russell can step in and duplicate what he did for Louisiana offensively and Jamari Wheeler can be that secondary guy in the backcourt for them from a defensive standpoint I think this team might be able to make up for their backcourt deficiencies losing Washington and Walker 
in a snap. But it'll really be, I think it's really up to that because I feel like you can pencil EJ Liddell in for who he's going to be. And hopefully he'll improve as a three-point shooter. If he can do that, then this team's really in business because I think that might have been his biggest flaw last year was the fact that he was extremely efficient as a post-style player. But for his type of position, he needs to be able to stretch out and step away from the basket, and he's got to improve on the defensive end. So if EJ Liddell, if EJ Liddell can improve on both sides of the ball as a shooter and as a perimeter defender and get that kind of play style from Russell and Wheeler, they could be something, but that's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of ifs, and I'm hoping that with a, with a season that knock on wood won't be as COVID-ridden as last year, they will be able to gel early in Austin, and Chris Holtman will be able to get them up and running early and be able to play to their potential. And transitioning to another Big Ten team in Illinois, and I think that this is a very interesting situation for Illinois because they lost Io DeSumo in the draft. Adam Miller left in the transfer portal. They do get Kofi Coburn back. So I think that's very interesting. But Jalen, does the return of Kofi Coburn make Illinois a top 25 team? I don't know if him in particular by himself makes them a top 25 team. But I think the mere fact that they were able to bring back Kofi Coburn, the backcourt of Trent Frazier and Andre Corbello are still intact, which is huge. Because if you remember, Ayodesumo missed a couple of games late in the season. And this Illinois team played pretty well with those two guys at the helm fighting their tails off. I think Coleman Hawkins, he was a guy who played at prolific prep with former or most recent number two overall pick Jalen Green. He has not been able to get a lot of a lot much of a shot in his hometown of Chicago just yet. I think that this year next to Kofi Coburn might be his best shot to really get some burn. And I'm thinking that if he can with more playtime can really blossom into an interesting guy who has the measurables to potentially be a legit NBA prospect as a second round guy, potentially with the kind of skill set that he showed in, in high school. So I think that Kofi Coburn is like the cherry on top, considering how efficient of a player he is, how active of a player he is on the defensive end. He's a guy who needs to, he needs to get that stamina up. That was one of those things that was really hurting them in those games. I specifically remember a game in which he was getting whooped on by Luca Garza um, in the game against Iowa, where he was kind of just being beat down the floor. And that was the big reason. That was a big reason of why Illinois struggled game in and game out. They were a solid team last year, though, a two seed, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, if Kobe, if, if Kofi can be a solid interior presence the way he was last year, and this, this backcourt can continue to develop, Coleman Hawkins, He's the X factor for me with this Illinois team. With more burn, I think if he can really step into that role, I think it'll be huge. And let's just get it straight, bro. More minutes for Trent Frazier and Andre Carbella over Adam Miller, I think is a benefit for for Illinois for Illini Nation anyway, bro, because Adam Miller just was not a good fit for this team last year. So I think seeing Carbello and Frazier on the floor a lot more is just what the doctor ordered. And I think what you're mentioning with Curbelo, I expect him to take that jump into possibly filling Io DeSumo's role because he was he had a pretty interesting season last year as a sophomore. And I think that what he was able to do in terms of what you were mentioning in replacing DeSumo, who was out for a couple games, he definitely had some potential where he could definitely fill that role left by Io DeSumo. But you also 
didn't mention Alfonso Plummer, who I think could be a very interesting addition to this team as an elite level shooter for Illinois. And then when you're also talking about getting Trent Frazier back as a solid two-way guard, DeMonte Williams and Jacob Grandison, I think could be great for the supporting cast for Illinois. But I think Kofi Coburn is going to be the focal point of this offense because I think what he's able to do down low against some of these other big men, I think it'll be very interesting to see what a matchup between him and Kudus Wahab looks like when Illinois plays Maryland. Yeah, man. I think that Illinois is going to be one of the most interesting teams in the Big Ten because of the fact that because they have so much returning in a positive light and because last year was so so much of a significant upside and compared to years past, just by them making the tournament, I think was huge for them. So, man, it's going to be great to be able to see what they do next. And I mean, as we move closer to the top 15, man, the talent across the board just starts to get more and more interesting. And we're hitting number 16, Dana Oldman and those Oregon Ducks. And man, look, this was a team I was really high on last year. Eugene, Eugene Amorui was a defensive monster for this team. Ryan, I'm not even going to go crazy on how I feel about Chris Duarte. Just listen to the, just listen to the old podcast episodes about my take on him versus Evan Mobley. Street said that I think Duarte is better. I won't confirm nor deny. But outside of that, I do believe that this team is stepping into a really interesting situation in, in this next season. They get real Will Richardson back, which I think is a really big return for them. Um, guy who averaged 11 points per game, uh, nearly four rebounds, nearly four assists on 44% shooting from the floor. They get Davion Harmon, who's going to be um, a really interesting prospect for them. Um, moving forward, a guy who came from Oklahoma last year and averaged nearly 13 points per game. And then let's talk about some really interesting guys who came from the transfer portal outside of Harmon too. Quincy Garrier from Syracuse, interesting wing player for them. Jake, Jacob Young, who played with the Scarlet Knights, the, uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights last year, really, really scrappy guard out of New York, man. He is a guy who is going to be really tough-minded for this Dana Altman team. And I think that, look, I ain't going to go as far as saying he's going to be the next Chris Duarte for this team, but I think he's going to be a really interesting guy. I think that the, the, the transfer portal that they got for this team, they look solid. Garrier, Harmon, Jacob Young, I think that they're going to be really great around, across the board, and I think that this could be a really interesting team with the kind of guys that they also have returning. So I am really hyped to see what Oregon gets into this year because – I mean, they lost a lot of talent, but hey, man, look, I think that Oregon is in the mix to be easily the second most dangerous team in the Pac-12 next to the UCLA Bruins, who we're going to end up talking about a lot later on in this podcast with where they're ranked. But I think that I, I think that Oregon is nipping at their heels. I don't think that that discrepancy is as far as people might think it is. I feel like with a lot of these teams that we're talking about in this top 25, they're replacing one guy. And we kind of have to focus on how they're going to replace the one guy. We talked about with Illinois, how they're going to replace Io DeSumo. We talked about with UConn, how are they going to replace James Booknight? In this case, how are they going to replace Chris Duarte? Because the impact that Chris Duarte had on this Oregon team last season was very impressive. The fact that he was a Pac-12 player of the year or should have been the Pac-12 player of the year, 
especially with a team that had a lot of experience to begin with, you're adding more experience in this case by getting Devion Harmon and Jacob Young, also Quincy Garrier from Syracuse. And then you also add the fact that Will Richardson, who did not play most of the season last year because he was injured, you get him back fully healthy. You pair him up with Eric Williams. I think that this backcourt could, could be really dangerous in the Pac-12 because you have a mixture of shot-creating, shot-making ability, and also just pure veteran experience. So I think that this Oregon Duck team could end up being a very interesting team in the Pac-12, but then they have to contend with teams like UCLA, USC, and that's the big thing for this team. So as much as I want to look at the talent on this team, we always have to keep in mind that UCLA is in this in the Pac-12 too. Yes, sir. And UCLA is looking very solid coming off of last year's Cinderella run. Like I said, we'll be talking about them a lot later on in this podcast. But Ryan, more importantly than talking about what's late in the podcast, let's talk about what's taking on right and taking place right now. We finally cracked the top 15, my guy. And we're going to start off with my North Carolina Tar Heels. Look, outside of being a Marylander, this is my squad right here. And I got to be honest, Ryan, I'm not feeling too good about it if I'm being, if I'm keeping it a buck. <laughs> as much energy as I had in my voice, we are in a really interesting situation. Um, we watched our coach retire in favor, leaving Hubert Davis, who I think is going to be an interesting replacement. Um, I, he's been with the program for so long. I think that it was a great move by hiring internally. Roy Williams definitely did not leave us hanging by any any stretch. But, ah, man, losing Garrison Brooks and Dayron Sharp in that front court, Walker Kessler transferring to Auburn, I think is a big hit. We're stuck with Leaky Black, who just will not shoot the tray pound to save his life. Armando Baycott struggled to stay on the floor. RJ Davis was pretty solid for us last year. And Caleb Love is a guy, is a five-star prospect out of St. Louis that I'm still just waiting to see pop. I think this could be his year to really pop off the screen. But, Ryan, I have my doubts about how I feel like this team is going to progress this year. But on the bright side, I think that this team could be really interesting as a defensive squad. And I think more importantly than that, I think that they have, a, they, for the most part, their group is relatively intact, which does give me a little bit of hope moving forward. Ryan, I'm not going to beg for you to be able to sell me on the Tar Heels, but how do you feel about them moving forward? Because this is a really interesting set of circumstances for them because this is our first time seeing a non-Roy Williams Tar Heels team in a long, long time. I think where it all starts is Caleb Love because we've been waiting for a couple of years on when is he going to make that jump? When is he going to become the breakout star for this team? Because I also feel like he needs to prove his draft stock. He is a player that could have potentially changed this program when he came to North Carolina. Now, I think under a new coach, maybe this is the year where he may have a breakout season. When you also talk about the return of Armando Baycott, who was a very good player in the low post. You also get Dawson Garcia, who was, very, who was a very good player at Marquette. And then you get a veteran stretch big and Brady Manick, who I think in terms of the transfer portal could have been a steal. I think they're great replacements in terms of the front court because it, it's going to be very difficult to replace somebody like Walker Kessler. But 
I think what you were able to what what you were able to do in the transfer portal by getting Dawson Garcia and Brady Manick, I think that was huge. But it's a a new season for the North Carolina Tar Heels, a new era for the Tar Heels with uh, Hubert Davis taking over for Roy Williams. I feel like North Carolina is due for a breakout season and Caleb Love is due for a breakout year. I think that's fair. I think my main thing is when I look at it, the my main saving grace is that I feel like the bright side to our team moving forward is that our, our front court is a lot is a lot more diverse. I think the big issue that we were running into last year was that Armando Baycott and Dayron Sharp were maybe a little too similar. But the fact that they were both two bruiser bigs inside that took up a lot of hunky dory space underneath the basket and kind of were getting each other's way. And then you have a guy like um, you then you have um, a circumstance where you're talking about Garrison Brooks, where he's kind of the finesse big for them, but he's not a guy who can step out and shoot it. I think the fact that we have three bigs now with our Mondo Baycott as the blow post guy, Dawson Garcia, who you touched on coming from Marquette, who's the lefty, definitely got some swag around the basket. And then Brady Manick, like you talked about from Oklahoma, who can step out and shoot it. The fact that now we have some versatility at the big spot where we can give you a lot of different looks, I think is going to be a really, really big part of whether or not this team can move forward and really hit their ceiling. But more so than their big spots, I'm going to read something straight from Sports Illustrated that kind of harps on the point that I'm trying to make more than anything. And it's about the backcourt. It starts like this. Former five-star Caleb Love had an uneven freshman campaign running the show, and the Missouri native needs to put together a far more efficient season as a sophomore for UNC to reach its season. Now, they talk about the efficiency. That was what they were talking about most of all when you talk about what Caleb Love needs to do in order to be the dude for this team moving forward. We need a dynamic guard to be able to fill out the rest of the spot. Well, guess what? We're talking about a Caleb Love who, who scored 10 points per game, not much of an assist guy with only three assists per game, not much of a rebounder um, at despite being 6'4", 195 pounds, only one rebound per game. And Ryan in 20 minutes, 28 minutes per game, he was somehow 40% from three on low attempts, I will admit, but 30.8% from the floor? What in the world? That doesn't even make sense how that logically adds up. But I think that's going to be the most important thing for him. He needs to become a more efficient scorer in order for this team to really top out as a top-level ACC team. I think we got the big spots on lock. But if Caleb Love can't turn it on, man, look, we're going to be in some trouble because I am not putting my putting my bank um, I'm not putting money on R.J. Davis and Leaky Black to carry that backcourt if Caleb Love can't do it. And I see your concerns because you and I are kind of on the same page with this because we both feel like Caleb Love needs to be the leading scorer for this team. He's the player that we're keeping our eyes on in terms of if he is going to take that step. And I think that's what Hubert Davis wants. He, I think he's waiting for Caleb Love to have that type of a season. I think UNC fans including yourself, Jalen, are waiting for a season for Caleb Love to step up and be that guy to take over this team. And I think that North Carolina definitely has a lot of talent to make themselves a primary contender in the ACC. But I think this season will really prove whether or not that will come to fruition, especially with Hubert Davis's first full season as the coach of the Tar Heels. 
Yeah, man. I, I Look, bro, I'm going to try to keep my optimism at an all-time high because I genuinely believe that if this team's versatility adds up proper, that they can be dangerous in the ACC. But look, bro, that, that Caleb Love point by SI is going to be a huge factor, a huge storyline that, Ryan, as we cover the season, I think we're going to touch on pretty heavily. But let's talk about a team that revamped crazy no i'm not talking about the memphis tigers we'll get to them in a little while though let's talk about them kentucky wildcats though sheesh ryan this man john calipari i don't know he acted out of body with this one bro we're used to him having a pretty crazy recruiting class but he did some work in the transfer portal for the one time brought in ty ty washington severe wheeler out of georgia I think they are in a really interesting spot with having guys like Davion Mitz, Keon Brooks, and Jacob Toppin return. They lost out on guys like Brandon Boston, Olivia Saar, uh, Isaiah Jackson, Devin Askew, who's going to be a guy we're going to talk about a little bit later when we talk about Texas. R.I.P. Terrence Clark, who would have been a really interesting prospect on this team if he weren't putting his name in the hat for the NBA draft, something I think we all expected probably had he still been on the earth so shout out to him and his parents um who i hope will still be watching cl closely as kentucky has a pretty solid upcoming season because they look real good ryan 9 and 16 after last year but i ain't worried about him this year how you feel so i think if there was an award for most improved team potentially huh. it could be the university of kentucky i talked about north carolina possibly having a breakout season and making themselves a primary contender back at the top of the ACC. I have those same feelings with Kentucky, and this is a complete revamp of what we saw last year. I think what they lacked last year was continuity, and they also lacked shooting. So John Calipari fixed that in the transfer portal. He fixed shooting by getting guys like Kellen Grady from Davison and CJ Frederick from Iowa. Frederick is a 47% career shooter from three. Kellen Grady is a pure shooter coming out of Davidson. And he's scored, by the way, over 2,000 points in his career at Davidson. And then you talk about the, the issues in terms of continuity by getting veterans. Severe Wheeler could be a huge difference maker for this Kentucky team. And he is a guy that focuses on being a facilitator. And then you talk about Ty Ty Washington, who was one of the top recruits coming into this class and him signing with Kentucky, I think is a huge deal. You, you fixed both of your issues. You fixed continuity by adding more veteran leadership and more veteran experience. And then you also fixed shooting by getting guys like Frederick and Grady and, and Washington. So I think that this is the year also for Kentucky to have a breakout season, much like North Carolina. I think Kentucky can have a breakout season. Yeah, I think Kentucky is in a really interesting spot where um, I think, oh man, Ryan, I hate to harp on the kid right now, but Devin Askew was just not the type of dynamic point guard that Calipari is used to having. I think that's like not the craziest thing that anybody's ever said about this, about last year's Kentucky team. I think that Ty Ty Washington instantly gives them a more dynamic guy at the point spot thing bringing in severe wheeler another guy who's played with a very top with a top top pick playing at georgia back when anthony Edwards was on the squad 
he's going to be a great addition for this team. Davion Mintz has been a really, really solid upside player for this team. Jacob Toppin, I hope, I hope realistically last season, this team was better when Mintz, Saar, and Jacob Toppin were getting a, a litany of the minutes. You know, there was that that need to get guys like Brandon Boston, Terrence Clark, or more so Brandon Boston and uh, Devin Askew, Isaiah Jackson on the floor. But I genuinely believe if you just go back and look at the tape, Davion Mintz, Olivia Saar, Jacob Toppin, when that group was on the floor, that Kentucky was just a better team. They were just a more dynamic team. They were just a more well uh they, were, they just played better is the best way I can put it. Now, they lose out on Olivia Saar, but they still have Mintz. They still have Toppin. And I think that the guys they've added fill those other positions, not only from a veteran mindset standpoint, something that Kentucky kind of desperately needs after a season last year full of, like, new faces. I think they just need a, a season where, yes, the faces are new, but the mentality isn't. You know what I mean? You're talking about two guys in Brandon Boston and Isaiah Jackson and, you know, include Devin Askew in this, who are all new to the college basketball scene. You're not getting that with these transfers that you're getting. You're getting guys that are coming in ready to compete for a national championship. So I think Kentucky is solid. I think they're definitely going to bounce back from what was a really nasty year last year. And speaking of the uh, faces are new, mentality is the same. Jalen, let's talk about Houston. The mentality is the same, but the faces are new. You lose out on players like Rob Gray, Corey Davis, Nate Hinton, Quentin Grimes, Deshaun Giroux, all are out of Houston. They lost a lot of, a lot of great players. So, I mean, how do you feel about this team? Man, look. I'd feel a lot worse about them if they didn't have Marcus Sasser back. But them getting Marcus Sasser back is enough to keep me in rain check. Now, 13 might be a smidget high, might be a smidget high, but I'm not super mad at it. I think the biggest thing for me, right, is that I think Quentin Grimes really had a uh, a career revitalizing stretch with with Houston that I think has just been a really good feel-good story after his struggles at Kansas in his first year. And the big hit for me is Dejon Giroux. Look, man, I know he doesn't come up crazy in the stat sheet um, for Houston if you look at what he did for them last year, but he was just the heartbeat of this team in so many ways, in so many ways. I mean, the man was playing through personal issues, injuries. I remember specifically the, the uh, a game where he was playing with a hip injury where he just kind of had to be dragged off the floor to actually quit. You know what I mean? To actually come off. I don't want to say quit because the band did not. I mean, they basically had to take him off the floor to stop him from playing basketball in that game. So I think you lose two guys who kind of embody a lot of what Houston's culture has been over the last couple of years. But I mean, like I said, you bring back Marcus Sasser. Um, you, you put yourself in a position where you got a couple of interesting guys like you get Kyler Edwards from Texas Tech. I think that was an interesting pickup in the transfer portal as well. Um, I think when you look across the board, I mean, they're in a pretty interesting spot. One of the guys that I'm really interested to see and on this team, oddly enough, is this guy, Taze Moore out of Cal State. He was a guy who averaged 12.3 points per game on 50% shooting at the guard spot, four rebounds. I think that he could be a really interesting guy to step into that like Dejon Giroux 
mold. Now, I don't think he's nearly the defender that Dejon is, but I think he can be a little bit of that do-it-all guy in the backcourt that could be really interesting for them as a guy who's going to lay it all on the line. I watched a little bit of what he did at Cal State, and he looks like a guy who can maybe give some buckets and also be really versatile across that backcourt. So Houston looks interesting, man. Like you said, definitely some new faces with the same mentality. Calvin Sampson's got them in the book, so I'm not surprised that they're ranked this high, despite the kind of guys they got they got um, going out the door. And I think when you talk about the mentality staying the same, Sampson's system is about defense and rebounding. And mm-hmm. I think when you talk about the moves that he made uh, in the transfer portal, and also some of the players coming back, like Marcus Sasser, you look at guys like Kyler Edwards coming from Texas Tech, Josh Carlton coming over from UConn, and Taze Moore coming over from Cal State Bakersfield. I think when you add those three players into a system with Marcus Sasser, I think that this is a system pretty much made for all of those guys on both on both sides of the floor. So I think when you talk about a system that's built on defense and rebounding and effort, I think that the Houston Cougars could end up just remaining the same in terms of the standings and in terms of the polls, except just with a different cast of characters. Yeah, man. I think Houston's going to be pretty solid. I know another team that's going to be really solid too, and that's these Alabama Crimson Tide, bro, at number 12. Man, Nate Oates, only been with the squad for two years, but he got Alabama looking noise out here in the SEC. And now they're in a situation they lose John Petty, Herb Jones, and Joshua Primo to the draft, but they keep Jaden Shackelford, Javon Quinterly, Keon Ellis, Javon Gary, and they bring in dynamic guard J.D. Davidson. They lose out on Damari Burnett, who did transfer to his team from Texas Tech, but went down with with a season-ending injury in terms of the fact that he went to go get surgery, essentially ending his season. Um, So, Ryan, I think Alabama, bro, I think they retooled pretty solid. I think when you lose a guy who's such a Swiss Army knife like Herb Jones, it's tough. Um, Joshua Primo is a guy who I really thought maybe jumped the gun going to the draft, but hey, he got taken by the Spurs in the lottery. So maybe he got some intel that just that was just way out of this world. Cause man, he sure got put on game because I don't think anybody expected him to go as high as he did. And John Petty was definitely their best shooter last year by by all accounts. But this team brings back some really solid names with Quinterly and Shackelford at the helm of that and JD Davidson obviously being a top level recruit. How do we feel about Alabama? Yeah, I, I feel like without Namari Burnett this year, I think they'll still be okay. I think that this is a team that will end up being a top three team in the SEC. And when you look at this class that Nate Oates put together at Alabama, you get J.D. Davidson, five-star point guard, four-star big in Charles Bediaco. And, of course, you mentioned Namari Burnett coming over from Texas Tech, but let's talk about Noah Gurley, the most underrated move in the transfer portal for Alabama to get Noah Gurley. I just think that it's just going to be very interesting to see what this team will look like and if they can go to the if they can make it back to the conference championship like they did just a year ago. I think when you get when you get back players like Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford, I think that it pretty much reassures more depth to an already loaded backcourt for Alabama. Like we mentioned with JD Davison coming in, I think he he'll be a huge addition to this Alabama backcourt. 
And then also, I think when we're when we're talking about breakout seasons, I'm expecting a breakout season from Jawan Gary. And I think he's got a lot of upside. I think that they'll be fine without without Namari Burnett. I do think that all the players fit that fit this up tempo system that Nate Oates has. So I think Alabama will be fine. And I will not be surprised if they end up being a two seat again like they were last year. Yeah, man. I mean, to round up on Alabama real quick, I think the biggest thing is that when you bring in a dynamic, explosive point guard like J.D. Davidson in an up-tempo offense like Nate Oates, where they love to get up and down the floor and they love stroking the three ball, you put him next to a guy in Javon Quinterly, along with the fact that they have Jaden Shackelford, they are not going to be any, they're not going to be nice in the backcourt, no matter who you go up against. And on any given night, I think any of these guys can go for 20 points per game. And it's going to be just really interesting to see which one of these guards distance themselves in terms of being that lead guy for them. Last year, I don't think there was really anybody who stood out on their own. I think this could be a year where one of these guys could significantly distance themselves from the rest in the group. But nonetheless, as a unit, I think Alabama is going to be pretty scary in that backcourt area because they've got three guys that are across the board. If you wanted to run a three guard lineup, I think they could. I think they could be one of the most dynamic offenses in the country. And that's not saying much considering they would, they literally just came off of a year in which they just did that. Now a team that I think will also be really interesting on an offensive front is Purdue. They're at number 11 and Ryan, there's two names that come to mind when you talk about Purdue and what they're going to do damage next year uh, and how they're going to do damage next year. Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey, two guys who, if you look at the, if you look at the big boards across the nation, they're way too early. Both of these guys are somewhere in the top 20, bro. You got two NBA caliber players, at least one solid college player in Travion Williams and a legit lottery prospect in Jaden Ivey. Look, bro, Matt Painter might got him something in a duo of those two in Williams and Ivy. How do we feel about Purdue, man? The Boilermakers have a solid duo that should be pretty scary out there in the Big Ten. I think they have a contender right now. When you talk about players like Trevion Williams and then other players like the freshman that stepped up last year, Jaden Ivy and Zach Eady, I think that when when you look at the talent of this of this Purdue team, you instantly think of a contender. Trevion Williams is a guy that averages almost 15 and 10. Jane Ivey was arguably one of the best point guards in the Big Ten last year, and he he arguably can be a first-round pick in the 2022 NBA draft. And then you talk about Zach Eady. I think he fits what Matt Painter is looking for in his front court, in his system. I think his, his pairing with Trevion Williams could make for a dangerous uh, front court in the Big Ten, and I think when you look at Jaden Ivey as a player, I he has Carson Edwards written all over him in, in terms of his ability to score. And then you also look at other players on this team like Mason Gillis and Brandon Newman as part of their supporting cast. I think that this team has the best chance to win the Big Ten outside of Michigan. I mean, I, I can't disagree with that, bro. I think that Jay Ivey, I would argue that Jay Ivey is a lot better as a prospect than Carson Edwards is. I mean, 6'4", 200 pounds, he's got him beat just off size alone. I think the versatility will go a lot deeper 
than what Carson brought. But I definitely agree with you that this is a guy who I think next season will be filling up the stat sheet in a way that Carson did. And I think that's an interesting thing to be able to lean off of. The big question will be, can the dude knock down threes? If we can get some threes from Ivy, that'll be That'll be when we really learn about him in terms of what he can do, not only as a lead guy on this team, but in terms of being a dangerous guy moving on to the next level. Ryan, we are in the top 10 is rapid fire time, and we got to start off with Eric Musselman and the Arkansas Razorbacks. They lose out on Moses Moody, but they bring in guys like Chris Likes. This team returns a lot of interesting faces like J.D. Note, Devontae Davis, Connor Vanover, Jalen Williams, and they even bring in other dudes like Odyssey Tony um, and Kamani Johnson. Tony was a really, really interesting guy for Pittsburgh last year, averaging nearly 15 points per game and six rebounds. And Kamani Johnson was a very solid player, I would say, um, um, as a prospect coming out, um, coming as a forward for Arkansas. I think that when you look across the board, you bring in a guy like Kamani, you bring in a dude like Tony, and you grab a guy like Chris Likes, who was a really interesting guy for, for University of Miami last year. I mean, hey man, Eric Musselman strikes again with another solid pickup. How we feel about Arkansas? I think that this team is even more dangerous than they were last year, especially mm-hmm. considering when we look at who they added in the transfer portal. Let's talk about guys like Chris Likes, guys like Audis Tony, guys like Stanley Umude from South Dakota. I think with Tony and Umude specifically, I think they fit the system for Eric Musselman. They are definitely combo forwards. I mean, they're, they're guys that could play the one through the five. And then when you already add on the fact that you, you are getting players like J.D. Nate back and Devo Davis back, I mean, this roster is athletic. It's loaded with talent. I just think that this team now positions themselves as a contender again in the SEC, even without players like Moses Moody, because the constant theme of this episode has been, how will this team replace this star? And I think that with a team like Arkansas and with other teams like Oregon, with teams like UConn, we've had that same question and, I feel like we have to rely on multiple. We have to look at multiple players who we think can fill that role this year. I mean, Aldis Tony is a guy that could fill that role. JD Nate, given what he did last season, could be a guy that fills that role. Even Chris Likes could fill that role. So a lot of loaded teams in this top 25, and Arkansas is one of them. Yeah, man, and I'm used to the SEC bumping heads in terms of football, but geez, man, the games between Alabama and Arkansas are going to be a movie. Athletes all over the place and definitely going to be some high-scoring ventures because these two teams love to get up and down, and they definitely got the athletes for it. So those games are going to be really interesting. Let's talk about Baylor at number nine coming off of a national championship with Scott Drew at the helm. They lose out on some of their big bodies like Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Masio and Mark Vidal, who shout out to the Seattle Seahawks, bro, is signing over with them to be a tight end on the practice squad. But nonetheless, they still got Adam Flagler, a guy who came off the bench for them, but a lot we're saying could have started on other teams, on other programs across the country. Matthew Meyer, who a lot of draft uh, experts were arguing that Meyer was an interesting prospect to the point he maybe could have came out in this past year's draft. 
Jonathan Chamwa uh, Chachua was a very, very interesting pro um, prospect slash uh, big man for them in the middle. Flo Thamba is another one of those guys at the big man spot. And most notably in terms of newcomers, James Akinjo. You've heard his name at Texas Tech, um, I, or you've heard his name um, in terms of, I think he was at Georgetown with Mac McClung actually before Mac McClung transferred to Texas Tech. And I think that James Akinjo was recently coming from a different school that he transferred to most recently. So another uh, uh, one of those guys who bounced around transfer portal uh, wise and is definitely looking for a new home. Um, going to be interesting to see how this team moves forward, but coming off a championship high, it's hard to rank them outside of the top 10 with the kind of guys they're bringing in. So nine seems just about right. I would have to agree. Nine seems about right. James Akinjo coming from Arizona and he's a guy oh. averaging, averaging 15 a game. So they are getting a nice scoring guard, but I mean, let, let's talk about the impact of Matthew Mayer coming back to this Baylor program. I mean, a dynamic wing scorer. We talked about how we talked about how he might end up going into the NBA draft this past year. I think luckily for Scott Drew, he came back and I think that there's a chance that this team can run it back, but this is an interesting situation uh, for the Baylor basketball team, because you're not only replacing one talented basketball player, you're replacing two talented basketball players and Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. So I think that this team definitely has that capability to be able to replace both of them, but I think it's just about repeating. And I think that if they are able to repeat with this, with this crew that they brought back, including the additions of Adam Flagler and Jonathan Chamwachichua, who both had pretty good NCAA tournament runs, and especially in the Gonzaga game when they were both impact players, I think that this team is poised to make another NCAA championship run but like I said, I think it's going to be about how you how you replace Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, who fills out those roles. I think Akinjo could end up being a nice impact player for them this season. And then when you look at the addition of Kendall Brown as a five-star wing, I think he just adds to the wing depth outside of Matthew Mayer. So Baylor definitely seems like a dangerous team. Yeah, I definitely think that with the loss of their three guard lineup of Mitchell, Mitchell, Teague, and Butler, I think this will this will be a team that plays a lot more through their forward depth. So I would look at guys like Tachua, Meyer, and definitely the combo of Meyer and Kendall Brown being one of the more interesting groupings in this lineup. But we cannot sleep on Alan, Adam Flagler. Like I said, this is a guy who I think could have started at a lot of top level programs at the point guard spot had he not been at Baylor. I think that now he's going to have his time to shine and it'll be really interesting. Ryan, you said something that I want to piggyback off of moving on to our next team. And that's the idea of repeating. One team that doesn't want to repeat last year is Duke who missed the NCAA tournament in its entirety. And they are not used to that, bro. They are not used to that at all. And you know what else they're not used to? Hearing over the summer that Mike Krzyzewski is officially about to hang up the sneaks. This is going to be his farewell tour season. And I don't think anybody wants to be on Mike Krzyzewski's last dance watch as a scrub. So he went out like a gangster, despite the fact that he's going to be um, the, missing out on Matthew Hurt and DJ Stewart, who both left school early to go into the draft last year. Boy, oh boy, let me tell you what Duke decided to do in the meantime. 
know this guy, Paulo Banchero. I don't know if you guys seen his name across draft boards. Probably one of the uh, top five guys in the draft, potentially. Some are already projecting to be the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, he's on Duke now. Uh, you put that with A.J. Griffin. You bring back Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach. This Duke team looking kind of solid, Ryan. I'm not going to lie. I don't think they're going to let Mike Krzyzewski go out like no you know what I mean? So I think that the Blue the, the blue Devils look pretty solid. As a Tar Heels fan, this hurts my soul in the ACC. But nonetheless, when we talk about this Krzyzewski brand team, I got to admit that the Blue Devils look really good. And eight may be underselling it depending on how good Banchero really is. This is the last dance for Mike Krzyzewski here at Duke. And I think that there's a chance that he may have built a championship contender in Duke for his final campaign. Let's talk about the fact that they, they picked up Paulo Branchero and AJ Griffin, two five-star prospects. Let's just not forget the fact that they added Trevor Keels as well to that mix of five-star prospects. I think he's one of the most physically gifted guards coming out of this class. I think all eyes this year could be on Jeremy Roach. I think that he had a very interesting freshman season, but I'm looking, I'm looking to him for a breakout sophomore campaign too. So I just think it's going to be interesting. And again, when you talk about the players that left Matthew Hurt and DJ Stewart, who were two solid players for this Duke team, also losing Jalen Johnson halfway through the year. I think that definitely hurt them last season, but I think it's just about, it's just about getting back to the championship. And I think Mike Krzyzewski put together a squad that actually can make it back to the championship this year. Yeah, man. I think that his last dance is going to be a really interesting year. I think they got the ACC on lock from a talent standpoint. They're going to be really interesting. And you know they're not going to let Mike Krzyzewski go down um, without swinging. So I don't know if this is a team that I would pick as a favorite to end up in the final four right now. Um, but this is definitely a team that I think is going to be really interesting all year and I think should be talented enough to maintain position in the AP top 25 for the entirety of the season, something they couldn't do for most of last year. But Ryan, we talk about Mike Krzyzewski being on the way out as being almost done. Well, Penny Hardaway is just getting started, bro. Brings in Rasheed Wallace on the on the uh, on the smooth tip as part of um, somebody on his roster to help work with the big man. Ryan, can you do me the honor, the honor of listing off some of the most interesting returners and expected slash already signed additions for this Memphis team, please? I think they need to understand, the audience needs to realize just how crazy on paper this Memphis team is about to look. Let's start with the fact that they are getting returning players in DeAndre Williams, Landers Nolly, and Lester Quinones players who helped lead the Memphis Tigers to the 2021 NIT championship. And then you get Jalen Duran, who was a top prospect. And then you pair him up with Emony Bates, who was also a top prospect, who originally was supposed to go to Michigan State, but decommitted and now has committed to Memphis. I mean, this, this is a top 10 team, top 10 team, regardless. I think this has... R.J. Barrett, Zion Williams written all over it, or Zion Williamson written all over it as a as a potential duo, and especially considering that the the impact that that these two will have at Memphis, we may end up talking about this team as a championship team 
very Derrick Rose 2008 Memphis-esque. But this team has the talent to do so. And if there is a team that could end up dethroning Baylor, this is one of those teams. I think Memphis definitely has a lot of talent, but now it's just about piecing it all together. And especially with what Emily Bates and Jalen Duran are as a duo, the ceiling of this team is, is almost through the roof. Yeah, and we have to remember that Landers Nolly, I believe it was Landers Nolly, but definitely Lester Kionez was one of those players that headlined that top five, top 10 recruiting class back in 2019 that had guys like DJ Jeffries, James Wiseman, Boogie Ellis, those guys in that recruiting class. And those guys are still around. And you throw in Imani Bates reclassifying, Jalen Duran reclassifying. Let's not sleep on my my guy Brooks's uh homie out that's transferring from Miami, Earl Timberlake. Shout out to DMV. Gonna be a solid point guard for this squad as well. They've got depth, they've got talent, they've got athleticism. And Ryan, they've got Penny Hardaway. So I feel pretty good about saying that not only do I feel like this team deserves to be a top 10 squad, but on top of that, bro, I mean, they've got the pro system to make a handful of these guys potential first round, second round picks. I think Lester Kionis is due. He's been a guy that stuck around in school maybe a little bit longer than most anticipated. Imani Bates is not eligible to go into the draft just yet, but I think having two seasons at Memphis as a and within a pro system around pro guys, like I said, like Penny Hardaway, um, like Rasheed Wallace, in that staff and that um in that coaching staff unit is going to be huge. Jalen Duran is another one of those guys similar to Paulo Banchero, who's in that top five discussion for the 2022 draft. Earl Timberlake, I think, could be a late first round pick at the point guard position if he gets the time to shine. And I think he will because he's going to be the guy who's going to be facilitating all this madness. So I think that Memphis is going to be a really interesting squad. And like you said beforehand, coming off the NIT championship, you know they want more gold than that. And I think it's even more interesting because of the reports that we've heard that Emney Bates could be a Penny Hardaway type point guard at 6'9". So I think that could be very interesting. Earl Timberlake being brought in as a secondary ball handler. I think when you talk about the passing ability of DeAndre Williams and also Earl Timberlake, I think that adds another layer to this Memphis team. Landers, Nolly, and Emmy Bates providing some of the, the best shooting for this team. I just feel like there's a lot of versatility on this team where even though this team really doesn't have like a true point guard, everyone outside of it makes up for the, for the lack of a point guard. Yeah, bro. And we move on to another team with a player coach. And we talk about Michigan at number six with Jawan Howard. And, bro, he he's not letting the gas pedal off either. After making a significant NCAA run last year, you lose out on Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner as your two lead guys. But you bring back, shout out to DMV again, that boy Hunter Dickinson, who could potentially be walking in as the Big Ten Player of the Year, at least from a preseason poll perspective. I know he's at the top of my list. You have a guy, Eli Brooks, returning as well in terms of coming onto this team. Um, and he was a guy who, interestingly enough, didn't do too much from an offensive standpoint, but was a big reason as to why this was one of the more dynamic defensive teams last year. You get Musa Diabate in the transfer portal. You get a guy, Devontae Jones, who comes from Coastal Carolina, averaging 20 and seven last year. He's going to be a guy who's going to be pretty interesting in that backcourt for this team. And then yet another 
NBA prospect. Talking about Caleb Houston, a guy who's in that lottery discussion as well. Jawan Howard strikes again, Ryan. Jawan Howard strikes again, indeed. You forgot to mention with Devontae Jones, reigning Sunbelt player of the year, Devontae Jones. And I think when you talk about the impact of not only Jones, but also Caleb Houston, Caleb Houston coming from Montverde Academy, a solid three and D sharpshooter. And then you also are getting back Hunter Dickinson, who was big 10 freshman of the year. You also get back Eli Brooks, solid player for them last season. I don't think anything stopping them from winning the big 10, except for injuries. Yeah, I got to agree with you. And I got to I gotta make sure that I uh, fix something that I mentioned earlier. I said that Musa Diabate was a transfer. Oh, no, he's just dusting off the passport straight out of France as one of the top five-star recruits at the powerful position in 2021 class. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, front court is looking disgusting with Dickinson, Dickinson and Diabate and, um, in that area. Devontae Jones and Caleb Houston are going to be really interesting. Um, at the guard, guard, guard slash forward spots. I mean, look, man, Juwan Howard is that guy from the recording recruiting standpoint, definitely putting Michigan on the map again, which is great. And talking about the Big Ten in terms of competition, and Ryan, it always feels good to see the Big Ten thrive like this because I think we said it a lot last year, and I think it still stands going into this year. I think they arguably are the best basketball conference around in the NCAA right now, head to toe. Great. I think that could not be disputed at all. Let's talk about another really interesting team coming off a pretty solid season last year in Villanova. Jay Wright, man, I mean, when is this guy not going to have a solid team? I mean, he's got a ton of returners. Colin Gillespie, Gillespie being at the top of that list, Jermaine Samuels, Justin Moore. The list keeps going on, and don't get me wrong, it's going to be a tough sell trying to replace a guy in Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But I mean, look, bro, Jay Wright's got the gang back. So as far as I'm concerned, as a team that did that kind of damage in the Big East last year, I got to assume that they're going to be a pretty interesting team this year moving forward. So, I mean, where do you stand on them, Ryan? I think getting Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels back, I think was huge, especially considering Gillespie ended up tearing his, tearing his MCL late in the college basketball season, causing him to miss the tournament. I think that him being able to get another second chance with, with Villanova will be great because he'll have another chance to possibly win the chip at Villanova. And then when you also get players like Jermaine Samuels back, like I mentioned earlier, Justin Moore, Caleb Daniels, you get a nice recruiting class coming in. I think that Jay Wright will have the opportunity to do some experimenting with this lineup because there's a chance that he can go with Samuels as a small ball center, especially considering the loss of Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And how are you going to replace insert player here? And in this case, it's Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who was arguably one of their best players, not only on the team, but in the conference and also in the country. So I think being able to give Samuels an opportunity to fill that role, I think that's going to be something interesting Watching other players like Brandon Slater and uh, Brian Antoine being able to emerge to maximize the floor spacing and versatility for the Wildcats, I think that's going to be interesting. But like I mentioned earlier, I think Gillespie coming back is going to be a huge game changer for this team in terms of winning the championship. Yes, sir. Ryan, we are in what the NCAA loves to call the final four. And we are going to start with the Kansas Jayhawks and Bill Self, bro. They miss out on two guys more specifically in terms of 
um, leaving the squad being Marcus Garrett and Bryce Thompson. But I think they kind of filled some significant holes with those two guys. You talk about our theme being who, how to replace star guys on this team. Well, you, you take out Marcus Garrett and Bryce Thompson, more so Marcus Garrett being a floor, a, a floor, um, a floor general type that played some significant defense and you switch him out for a guy in Remy Martin, who's all about buckets from Arizona state, as well as Joseph Yasufu out of Drake, a team me and you were talking about really heavily towards the back end of the year when we were heading into the NCAA tournament. Bill Self definitely has him a squad. We have to remember that last year, the Kansas Jayhawks were one of only two teams to hand Baylor a loss last year. And I mean, I think they are in a really significant spot this year to potentially win the Big 12, which is a huge accomplishment in terms of this team because it would be the 20th time. And I think that that is definitely the kind of trajectory that Kansas wants to get back on. I think that adding both Remy Martin and Joseph Yusufu were huge, mainly because they are two high-level scoring guards. Just looking at Yusufu specifically, I think the tournament really helped out his case as being one of the top point guards. And I think he'll be able to fit right in along with Remy Martin in this offense that Bill Self has put together. So I think there's definitely a lot to like about this Kansas team. I definitely think they'll make more of an impact than what they did last year, because I think they have something that they were really lacking. They were lacking a strong dynamic ball handler who is a, who's a solid shot creator. So why not get one, get two. Yeah, man, and this we have to remember, this was a Kansas team that two seasons ago could have arguably been in the championship spot around Baylor and Gonzaga and some of those other teams. This is, if not for the COVID-stricken year, I think that Kansas might have been in a situation where they potentially would have been hanging up a banner two years ago. So I think they definitely re-upped well. Let's move on to the third team in Texas, and boy, they lost some bodies. Matt Coleman, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, Kai Jones, Donovan Williams, Royce Ham Jr., uh, but they brought in some solid backup to make up for the losses. Marcus Carr, Dylan DeSue out of Vanderbilt, uh, Kristen Bishop, Devin Askew. Like, they got some bodies to make up for their losses. And I think they definitely re-upped in a really solid way. But more so than the talent they got on the floor. Man, Texas took away from Texas Tech and went all big body on them and took, the, took away the man in Chris Beard. This team was... Kind of treading water with Shaka Smart. Let's keep it real, man. Let's just keep it a buck. I love Shaka. He's done a lot for the African-American coaching scene across the NCAA. But let's be real. Chris Beard definitely raises this team's floor. Ryan, we know that Chris Beard is all about defense. If he can bring the defensive philosophy he had with Texas Tech that has produced many a, many a NBA talent over the last couple of years to this team we might be able to see guys like Marcus Carr and Dylan DeSue get their name called on that big day how do we feel about Texas bro I I cannot be more excited about Texas right now with the kind of guys they got coming off this transfer portal if we had to point out one winner from the transfer portal Texas is the winner in the transfer portal let's just talk about the players that they were able to acquire. Marcus Carr, all-star point guard at Minnesota. Timmy Allen, I think he's going he's gonna to definitely provide that extra scoring as a wing player. And then when you talk about Dylan DeSue from Vanderbilt, Christian Bishop from Creighton, and Trey Mitchell from University of Massachusetts, this is an amazing front court that they've put together. But you know what's, what else is very interesting, Jalen? 
they got five double-digit scores from the five players that they acquired in the transfer portal. And then you add Marcus Carr to this mix of returning guards in Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones. You could arguably say that this is the best roster in the country right now. Yeah, man, I am excited to watch Texas basketball this year. Having Chris Beard at the helm is going to make things really interesting, but I just think the group they've got, I mean, Dylan DeSue, man, sleeper wing, 6'9 out of Vanderbilt, bro. I think he's going to – I think this is going to be a really, really solid breakout year for him. I think he might have made a really solid decision by transferring over to the Big 12. And I think Texas is going to be so dynamic. Let's talk about another team. We're in the final two right now. Let's talk about UCLA. And I don't even think we got to spend that much time on them because it's very simple. Out of all the teams we talked about, we talked about the guys they've lost and how they're going to replace them. Ryan, this team breaks that mold tenfold. They're bringing the gang back. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Hawkins, Tiger Campbell, Cody Riley, uh, Kenneth Nawaba. They bring in... Um, five-star guy Peyton Watson they bring in Miles Johnson um, who was an eight and eight guy out of Rutgers they grab Will McClendon man UCLA bro Jalen Clark as well who they have returning I mean lord man when you bring a Cinderella team back together with a chance to be better than they were last season Johnny Juzang and Jaime Hawkins were two guys who arguably could have went to the draft this past season as well smart of them to both go back to school but I think they both could have made a run at being at least second round picks at the worst I mean man UCLA top to bottom Mick Cronin got him a squad and coming off that Cinderella season I think they won they want payback more than anybody because they were so close. And had it not been for that Gonzaga game, man, I think we could be having a completely different story about how things went in terms of the national championship. Yeah, the, this is a deadly team. And I think that given the run that they went on in the in the NCAA tournament last year, there's definitely some high hopes for, the, for UCLA. Just to talk about Miles Johnson and Peyton Watson, I think that with Johnson's ability as a rim protector and Watson's athleticism, I think this is going to be a great defensive unit. Getting uh, Johnny Juzang back and Jamie Jaquez as well, I think offensively and defensively, this could be a very well-rounded UCLA team. So give credit to McCronin where credit is due because this team definitely has the, has the capability to right back. Yes, sir. But the team standing in front of them is the team that stood in front of them last year. They are not holding back. It's Gonzaga with Mark Few at the helm, and they lost a lot of NBA talent. Corey Kispert, Jalen Sugg, Joel Yai. But guess what? They still got Drew Timmy. They still got Andrew Nemhart. They bring back Anton Watson. They bring in Chet Holgram, another guy who might be going in the top five. They bring in Nolan Hickman at the point guard spot, at the guard, at the combo guard spot. They grab a guy who I think is actually pretty interesting and Rasir Bolton out of Iowa State, who averaged nearly 16 points, five rebounds and four assists for Iowa State last year on nearly 46% shooting from the floor. Ryan, Gonzaga didn't get it done last year. They only lost one game and it was the big game. But Ryan, I think this team might be able to get her done this year, bro. Yeah, I think that this team in Gonzaga seems poised to, to get it done this year. And if you think about what they were able to do in this past offseason, getting the recruits that they were able to get, Chet Holmgren, the best recruit of his class, Hunter Salas as a top 20 recruit, Nolan Hickman in that 
in that recurring class as well. Rasier Bolton as a veteran shot maker, and you get Drew Timmy back from last year. This team has championship written all over it. So don't be surprised if they end up hoisting up the trophy in April. Yes, sir, bro. Well, that is our breakdown. We will definitely be doing this again closer to the season as things change. We'll, of course, get a lot more news and things like that. If For you guys to be able to follow along or maybe just take a secondary look at a lot of the stuff that we talked about, of course, I just want to reiterate that we will have this in um, this link to the article on CBS Sports that we use in the description down below. Guys, the college basketball season cannot come any faster. We love the NBA, but boy, do we love some college basketball. And we are going to be diving in heavily this year across all the conferences um, in NCAA basketball play. But Ryan, get us a body here, bro. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. Do you believe Gonzaga will be able to win the championship in this upcoming season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast, of course. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.